Welcome to Rich Conversations. I've been waiting a while to share this episode with you. It is awesome. It's one of my favorite episodes so far. Alex Pate from City Farm Chicago joins us. We actually visited him on one of the City Farm locations, and we were just walking around. He showed us around, and he shared his experience and knowledge with us of running an urban farm. So we talked science, agriculture, community a lot, sustainability, and and just so much more. You can watch the video on our YouTube channel to see us walking around on the farm as well. It's a lot of fun. Uh, This is a great episode. You can follow Alex on Instagram at Gerard Pate and at Chicago Farm. Get ready. We're going to learn a lot. Let's begin. Welcome to Rich Conversations. Right now, we are at City Farm in Chicago. So we're on a farm in the middle of an urban setting. And so Alex Pate is with us right here and he operates and he works on the farm here. When I came here today, he's, what, what were you working? What, we were, what did I yeah. came? Um, so last week I had harvested a bunch of sweet potatoes. Okay. Um, and so harvesting sweet potatoes requires you to like fork around them. They cluster, they grow in clusters. And so you just need to be careful not to damage them. Uh, like uncured potatoes bruise really easily. And so okay. I had essentially excavated them, yeah. um, cut off the vines. They like are vining um, vegetables. And so okay. they like spread out very wide. And so I had harvested those. They've been curing um, at a hoop house at one of our other farms. Okay. Um, and so then I was cleaning up all the vines when you came. I was, I was raking them up and collecting them. So yeah, I show up and Alex is out here working and it's so peaceful. I just stepped here and I'm walking and you get this earthy scent just in the middle of the city. It's such a interesting setting and setup. How did this, something like this come to be? This is just a vacant lot and now there's gardens all around us, For right? Sure. Yeah, um, that smell you could probably uh, think the, the partially cured horse manure that we build our soil with here. Um, but I could get into that a little bit later. It doesn't smell, it's, it's a really nice smell actually. Um, but yeah, City Farm um, is an urban farm that has been at this location for um, about seven or eight years. Um, and prior to that, we operated um, on a lot right over here. You can see like the building, um, yeah. Byborn, um, and that was like our other location for you know 10 years before that. Um, but City Farm is yeah an urban farm that um, like our primary mission is to grow um, organically grown, nutrient dense produce, um, distribute that, and make it available to Chicagoans um, who typically don't have access, don't have as easy access to uh, those type of locally grown foods. Yeah. So this is just one location you've set before, right? Yeah. So City Farm is is this location where we are now. Um, however, like. City Farm is operated by me. I'm the farm manager here, but I'm a farmer with Patchwork Farms Chicago. So Patchwork, um, Patchwork Farms is a farm location itself. We're located on California and Chicago Avenue, and that's like our main location that we have um, our farm stand every Wednesday and Saturdays. We have 
um, our large like walk-in cooler where we store a lot of our food and then members of our, our CSA, our Community Supported Agriculture, um, they come each week and like pick up their produce subscriptions that they, they get. Um, and so Patchwork is the collective. We manage um, four sites total, Patchwork being one, City Farm okay. being the largest. Um, and then we have a, we're currently working on like a permaculture project um, at the plant Chicago, which is okay. like a horticultural um, uh, incubator space. It's like an agricultural incubator location. Um, and we're doing a permaculture project there. And then we have one farm um, called Frankie Farms on Franklin in California. Okay, so there there are a lot of different spaces, and this this one is the main one. No, so this is the largest site. This the is largest, two and okay. A half acres, yeah. But our like main like our, our flagship site is um, is Patchwork Farms on Chicago and California. That was like our first farm um, that is kind of like I said, where a lot of like our infrastructure is, because okay. um, we have like our, our you know wash pack station over there, but it's pretty low tech other than like the water hookup that we need to process. Yeah, you said there's no electricity, right? Yeah, um, and so that's kind of. Um, worked into why City Farm exists, why Chicago Resource Center um, is has been able to operate. This is like the city has kind of like allotted the space to be dedicated to farming, mm-hmm. um, but the, the level of investment that they've put in um, is actually like quite low. Um, and so, you know, there, there's basic infrastructure steps that like would require a a water hookup that would require like electric mm-hmm. hookup on site here and so that's like been something that's kind of um, you know, prohibited some of our operations to an extent because we yeah. can't have a big walk-in fridge here um, but luckily right like that sort of scarcity in, in my mind in the, the mind of my my farm partners um, kind of spurs a lot of like the sustainability um, initiatives that we're able to like act upon here right so yeah how does it work with the city where is it basically like, yeah, we have this vacant land, go ahead, use it however you want to, to grow food. And so they don't want, to them, something happens with the land that's not getting developed yet, and they don't have to invest electricity. Or in yeah, and I mean, just like the, with the aesthetic um, value of spaces, too, is something okay. that the city concerns itself with, because like it is advantageous for the city to not have vacant land and Chicago has tons of vacant lots right and so like even the informality of of city farm is you know something that I um, strive to like make an example of what a vacant space with limited resources can be right so like this is not a model that's that's replicated across the city because like otherwise we would have we could have thousands of like small urban farms and that's you know kind of a model that we're looking to um, to live here you know at, at city farm and so um, that's what like kind of the longer term hope is is that like while it's been understood that like this farm will not remain here mm-hmm. for the longer term right yeah. because it, it, just, it just comes down to like city development um, the city recently received a lot of funds to like continue the the Uh, reconstruction of Cabrini Green, Old Town, and so that's going to happen. So this space in particular that we are are at right now, it's Cabrini Green, it's right by Old Town, but you can see around us there's a lot of development, right? Yeah, and so all these like condo buildings are um, mixed income housing, and that was, you know, kind of how the city kind of like justifies the redevelopment of of this space. Um, It's like a 
probably a, you know video for another time to talk about like the history of Cabrini Green, Cabrini and, Green yeah. right? and like the um, injustices essentially that were like created through these housing projects for for black and brown yeah. people um, in Chicago. And so um, in that redevelopment, right, like the city is, is has been forced to kind of address some of these historic ills um, through local activism, former residents who, yeah. who live here. Um, and so in, in that, like a lot of the condos that come up here are, uh, are mixed income. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, you know, there, there's ups and, and, and downsides to, to that sort of development. Um, but what, you know, like the value that we see ourselves bringing is that while this space is unoccupied, that we can essentially you know, form a center or a resource center for um, community members here, um, which, you know, like we, we, we actually like can't sell another stipulation with our agreement with the city is like we can't sell food on site here. Um, okay. So we, we don't sell any food. Um, what we do, however, is, um, you know, if anybody walks by and comes in, which people regularly do, we have some new people who like visit each week, um, and we are happy to, to give food away. People can make donations if they choose to. Um, but but that's, that's the thing. You know, a lot of times we produce more food than um, we can even consume given our, our farm stand, given our CSA. And so um, part of what we do as well is work with mutual aid organizations to help distribute our produce as well. We okay. give a lot of it away. Um, and that's kind of like what, kind of how the, the farm is structured as well. Like we have this half of the farm and then this little section here next to the hoop house um, that's dedicated to our, our production. And that's about half of the farm. Um, and then the other half of the farm is uh, like our community garden area and so we allow um, people who volunteer here community members to just like have space to grow um, and you know and that, that's produce that like they don't they're not required to pay for space they're not required obviously to pay for the produce that they grow so um, how often do volunteers come and help out yeah with food production um, I mean it's some people come regularly some people come a little bit more infrequently um, but like our volunteering is um, pretty just like casual in that like we don't make we don't have any like hourly requirement like weekly requirements yeah. for people um so we do have like people who usually come like every sunday or i'm sorry every saturday um that's like our typical volunteer day is like saturday from 11 a.m until 4 um and so during that time we have at least like you know three to ten of our regular volunteers regular residents who yeah. have space that they're growing in or just come in regularly and help out here um and then, you know, anywhere from like one to five new volunteers that come um, and, and just like uh, can kind of like assist in very, with varying degrees of work depending on the time of the season. So uh, it, it, it varies and especially like given the season, like during the, the heat of July and August, um, we, the, the, that kind of like falls off, volunteers fall off because okay. it gets so hot that like people don't really want to be out here. Yeah, I can um, imagine that. Yeah, so now like in, in fall, um, we're starting to see more people who come out on the weekends. It's like really mild and nice during the day. Chicagoans love the fall. Yeah, they do. It's, <laughs> it's like, like when like a lot less work needs to be done here. Like there's always work. Yeah, to be done, but, yeah, like, yeah. Midsummer would be like ideal uh, yeah. for volunteers to be here. So, yeah. So how did you get involved in doing this? Like what? Some that's something I'm very curious about. Is like in your life, what kind of propelled and motivated you to now be where you are? Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't necessarily 
something that I had uh, like identified as like a, a destination. Yeah, like when you're a kid, I'm sure you never yeah. imagined that I'm going to be a farmer in Chicago. Yeah, like, you know, like anyway, no, yeah, it's, like not sound attractive. I mean, so I when I was younger, um, I did like some gardening at home with my dad garden, my parents garden, um, and so I'd like you know help like weed and stuff like that, but was never like particularly into it. Um, and then. Um, I guess long story short, but like when I was in DePaul University for undergrad, um, I participated like very infrequently in like their garden club. Um, and uh, after graduating undergrad, went into to education and was a high school teacher for a few years. Um, and you know, really was really like depressed while I was teaching because uh, I've never I've never lived in poverty myself and seeing the tremendous amount of poverty that a lot of my students faced on a daily basis um, was just like obviously very upsetting and like and I I had trouble kind of like justifying um, what I was doing in the classroom as like actually being something that was benefiting them and I think a lot of that was kind of me romanticizing what teaching was and thinking that I would have these profound effects on like like, the uh, like what was it like goodwill hunting whatever, or something like yeah, that yeah something like that right and so um but, and so that kind of forced me then to like start thinking about my career critically and like what I wanted to do. Um, and so um, what actually kind of then shifted me into horticulture and, and agriculture was um, an interest in like uh, the emerging cannabis industry in Chicago at the time. And that was like, you know, 2016 or so. And so legislation was just like passing then. Um, and they, you know, there was a lot of lip service paid to like um, having brown and black people within the cannabis industry, um, especially because of everything with the war on drugs and yeah. the way in which these populations have been targeted. And, um, and, and so um, thinking that I could you know, step into cannabis and, and you know, try to like assert myself, um, I, I started to like acquaint myself with agriculture, with urban agriculture specifically, and saw that there are all these like really interesting things happening within horticulture and um, like that's where my my focus kind of shifted from cannabis specifically to just agriculture and specifically urban agriculture um, and realizing that like right like you don't need to you don't need to just like grow we at least I, I felt I didn't need to just like grow weed yeah. just for a living right there's a lot of other um, things that could like take up the bulk of your time within agriculture and so um, from there I was kind of looking into like different ways in which I could step into um, urban agriculture um, and when, as I was transitioning out of teaching, I was actually like, recruited to um, work for this industrial supply company um, that was completely unrelated to horticulture. Yeah. Um, but I accepted the job because I had um, been familiar with, with the company prior to working there. Family members of mine had as well, and I knew that it was a, a good company to work for um, and that they offered uh, a number of different benefits. And so while I was there, I worked there for about three and a half years. And during my time there, for two of those years, I was working towards my master's. Um, in, in crop sciences, and, and which includes horticulture, agronomy, um, and, and was getting that at the, the University of Illinois. Um, and then once I completed my degree, uh, decided to quit my job, which was last March, and then um, kind of came on full-time here. And so um, all during while, you know, I was teaching while I was working um, at this industrial supply company while I was in school, I was coming here and volunteering. Um, okay. And so I had been volunteering here for about five years um, by the time I finished my master's program um, and had, you know, done everything from just like starting out weeding and like kind of 
being like yeah. an amateur volunteering to working part-time with, with Patchwork Farms and would help them with their harvests and do various things um, and kind of like set up in the, like the years leading up to like me joining them full-time and me helping with their operation. What do you love most about now working here? Um, I mean, there are a lot of things. I, like, I've never worked as hard and as many hours as I have here. Like, it's just like a very physical job. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one thing that I really love. And that was like one of the appeals of like of agriculture is like I can have something that like is intrinsically like physical where I don't feel like you know, I need to like go to the gym and like do all these things like after sitting at my desk all day, right? Yeah. Um, and so that was like one thing I really love. Um, I, I really just enjoy like the full autonomy that I have to create my day-to-day -day. Um, and, and I think that that's like a really liberating thing is that like I um, really like do what I want to do right and, yeah like that that's not like my great aspiration is to just do whatever the hell I want to do right but, like I um, really enjoy like the long-term planning required in a lot of the farming so like being able to have these kind of like methodical um, plans about where we're going to set up various crops and even like thinking into next year like where we can do crops that are like more they're going to grow all season long where then like make sure those are closer to the front so then when people come in they immediately will see like Swiss chard they'll immediately see our sweet yeah. potatoes which take all season to grow right and so that's like something that I won't have to constantly be churning over beds and things like yeah. that um, but yeah and I mean just like growing food and like the like growing food and like just giving food to people is like I view it sometimes as like is like giving people money because yeah. like if you know you're able to prepare the foods that like we grow and you know like I, I don't I think I might have forgotten to mention this but like our, our mission here is to provide all these foods for low to no cost so everything that we sell here all the events that we have here are are free with a suggested donation and so a lot of times that means people who can afford to pay more, they absolutely do because they understand that they're like kind of covering other people who may not pay, you know? Yeah. Um, and so um, in that vein, like being able to grow produce that people can prepare and essentially like supplement costs that they would spend on food. Already, yeah. Exactly. And so like that, that's like really empowering. It's like it's empowering other people in a way. Mm -hmm. And it, it, you know, you can leave to water right and so not everybody's like as interested but like for a lot of people who come here they're drawn to the farm because there aren't very many spaces like this in the city and um, whether people like seek this sort of thing out or people just like kind of come across it like people derive different things from the farm and and like that's one of the biggest things that like, I've learned here is like just having an asset like this gives people the opportunity to interact with it and to become familiar with it and then be able to think about it critically and, and make more informed decisions about their life, whether they want to get involved with agriculture, whether they are interested in sustainability and kind of interested in like some of our practices, whether people are interested in like soil science or, um, you know, we have like carpenters who help us with like infrastructure projects. And so um, people can engage with the farm in so many different ways. And that's like yeah. a really great thing too, is because like we just have the farm here mm -hmm. and how people, you know, choose to, interact with it is kind of up to, up to them. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, why don't we check out some of the stuff that uh, that you're doing here? For sure. What is the best place to 
kind of maneuver through. Um, Check out first. These are actually, so these are like bags of, um, of mushroom substrate. They're not the prettiest looking things, um, but we, yeah, so it's, it's basically like sawdust um, with some like, like cocoa core. Um, it's kind of like a, a mulch uh, that's frequently used um, in, in soil, um, but it's, they're inoculated with um, mushroom spores. And so we upcycle um, these bags from- So what is upcycle? So it's a, a term within sustainability. So this would otherwise be trash. We actually take these out of the trash um, from uh, Windy City Mushroom. It's, okay. a, it's a company that we work closely with to recycle these. Um, and, and so like Windy City Mushroom has these bags that are filled with mushroom substrate, which are the spores that mushrooms grow from. Um, and so they produce uh, mushrooms and you know have a certain like quota that they need to meet per bag that they have because the bags will take up shelf space and they need to have certain production. And so after, you know, two or three um, kind of like life cycles of mushrooms, these bags no longer become as fertile as they were when they were growing from, from like the conception. And so um, they toss these bags out um, and we take them out, uh, take the, the substrate out of the bags um, and we'll incorporate that into our soil. Um, and if we walk over here, I could start to show you kind of, um, we have like a little mushroom mound that we've, we've started. Uh, and so, yeah, we use that substrate, we break it down and um, we'll add it to like our mushroom mound over here, which is not currently in season. And so um, we kind of build that up at the beginning of the season in, in fall, or I'm sorry, in spring, um, when like temperatures are a bit colder um, and we'll like grow mushrooms here because that substrate still has mushroom inoculant in it. Um, and so that's been something we've been kind of experimenting with um, and it's been pretty successful. Um, and so it actually seems so too, like we have, you know, a lot of weeds around here. Um, and part of that is kind of just, just the capacity that we have to, um, to maintain the space itself. I'm the only the only employee who, who works here. Um, I have two other farm partners who um, assist in uh, like harvesting twice a week when, when we're here. And they'll also help like with various like uh, projects that I'm working on here. But uh, with that being said, you know, like I have to be really intentional with like where I spend my time. And so, so yeah, so how yeah. do you not spend all your time just pulling weeds? Yeah, and so that could like very easily be the case. Um, and you know, like, I, I think that there are, you know, kind of like aesthetics, aesthetic issues that come with maybe not weeding as, as frequently as other farms do. But like we, that's not an effective use of my time, honestly. And so like when I weed, I weed in places that we're growing crops that it's like weeds are coming in high and are starting to like shade our, our crops, are competing with our crops. Like that's essential, we need to weed that. But when we have like vacant, rows here that like we are letting rest from like growing crops in um, and during the off season we're going to amend with a bunch of um, our horse manure a bunch of our mushroom inoculant other compost um, so like it might not look the prettiest we have a lot of grasses growing here um, but we don't want to leave you don't want to leave soil bare that's not a good practice to just have and so um, yeah I, I, I find it to be advantageous to my time is like, I can leave this for now. We'll address this towards the end of the off season. Might not look the nicest and to like, maybe an untrained eye, it's like, oh, this is just look like a lot of like weeds growing here. But you know, we still grow over 10 tons of food here annually. And so we're able to have production goals and meet them um, without maybe having like the aesthetic pieces. But as we continue to like scale up our operations for next year and we'll be able to, you know, bring on more employees to help, um, we'll be able to address those more like nuanced aspects of, okay. of farming. So those are more nuanced. It's not yeah. 
Yeah. And there, I mean, there are also different ways of, of like dealing with weeds in like passive way. So like what we have here is like we've mulched this essentially. So underneath these burlap sacks here, um, we have um, incorporated horse manure um, as well as compost into the soil and we do a tilther which is like a shallow tilling um, and we will build the soil up one because like we physically want to maintain the soil's presence here each time you harvest each time you weed right we're so we, we take off and break off a lot of the soil that's attached to the roots but there's always inevitably some soil that leaves the the ground and that's like our, our biggest asset here right that's the medium in which all of our, our plants are grown and so we've it's it's very important for us to continue to like grow our, our soil physically to make sure that like we have enough soil. Um, but then we also want to build the soil and its nutrient contents because each time you grow a plant there, whether it's a crop, whether it's a weed, they extract nutrients to complete their life cycles yeah. and we need to replenish that in order to grow healthy plants. And, 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 yeah, exactly. And so um, that also kind of goes into like how we weed. We do a lot of like mulching um, and we can cover big swaths and we can continue walking down this way, um, but we can cover, you know, big swaths of, uh, of land and being able to like suppress weeds here. So there used to be a bunch of weeds in this row. I put this plastic down and like these weeds will spring through, but this is a lot easier to pull than, um, you know, an entire row of weeds. Um, and so that's like one tactic that, that we have. Um, but I have also like bigger tarps, bigger areas that like I just cover um, and will, and, and what's nice about that, it's actually like when you use plastic tarps like that, the uh, technique is called uh, solarization. Um, solarization. Solarization, yeah. And so what it does is essentially like, and you want to use, like you need to use like dark colored plastics when you do it, um, but you basically cover. It absorbs the sun. Exactly. So it absorbs the sun underneath the tarp is like superheated not like superheated like over I, I think it reaches like you know 150 degrees um, but that's hot enough to burn a lot of the seeds of, of weeds that have been in the ground there really? yeah and so what we'll do is cover a swath um, with plastic um, and it's usually done during the winter when it's we're not required to grow but we'll cover it and for the winter months it usually can happen you know in a matter of like two to five months depending on the weather conditions um, but then you know when we come back in spring we're able to pull back the mold pull back the tarp and we have like beautiful clear soil that's like ready to plant immediately yeah. and so like that's the sort of thing too where it's like okay we can have weeds in an area for a while again it might not look the nicest at that at any given moment but we can take care of it because we'll mulch it and that's just like an effective way to do it that like I can do by myself. It doesn't require a team of three, four people here to help with that. Um, but that's also like the weeding piece is also what we have like our volunteers help with. And a lot of times like that will when we get that will be when we get a lot of weeding done. And a lot of times we turn beds over immediately and we'll have to pull the weeds and then plant into it immediately. And so like mulching doesn't work for that case because we don't have months to spare to, to, to do that sort of thing. Um, and so, yeah, we do have a lot of grasses and things, but like over here we have a lot of our cucumbers growing and um, I can look in here and see, we probably have some after the rains, um, but these are our cucumber plants. And again, these are, it's approaching the end of the season, but here you can see one coming in here. Oh, yeah, and so after rain, after a single rain, like you can start to see, like they, they emerge pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, we also harvest them a lot. We Wait, harvest them twice again? a week. So, so it rained recently. Yeah. And you're saying they 
they just come up? The water content of, of cucumbers is, is really high. And like there are a number of vegetables. Um, I mean, most vegetables have really high uh, water content, but like when you think of things like tomatoes, like cucumbers, um, we grow watermelons as well. Watermelons are a little slower growing, but these things that have extremely high water content are like really impacted by precipitation. And so, um, you know, this past like weekend we've had three days of rain, maybe not consistent, but more rain than what's been occurring earlier in the summer. And so our next harvest day is Wednesday. Um, and so we will um, come and harvest them on Wednesday. And this will be like, get a little bit bigger, but these are a, a nice variety. These are uh, Japanese climbing uh, cucumbers. And so Japanese these- climbing. Climbing cucumbers. And you can see some of them start to grow up these. So this is lamb's quarters, but this is the cucumber. And some of them have like little tendrils that tie themselves to these. And so like if given a trellis like this one, right, it'll grow up them and like it, it then can produce more cucumbers um, just because that's how it grows naturally. Something I'm curious and yeah. uh, maybe maybe listeners and viewers are too, is where do you get your horse manure? Oh, um, so we had previously, so this site, right, like as I explained earlier, was a vacant lot before. And like urban soils, specifically in Chicago, but like most urban soils around the world are like highly contaminated with heavy metals. And so like you can't grow, oh, you, you can technically grow in there, but like any uh, vegetable that is soil born, so like potatoes, like um, a lot of lettuces, um, squash, things that will like be on the soil, like those things then have, have lead and heavy metals like on their exterior or in them. Um, those things aren't transferred to like the fruits of a lot of, uh, of like crops. So like you can grow tomatoes and that, still not a good practice. So our soil here has all been brought in um, and it's been brought in from, before it was shut down, we got all of our manure from the Arlington racetrack um, out in Arlington oh, really? Heights. Yeah, so that's like, <laughs> no they were paid, the resource center was paid to pick up their, their comp, uh, the, the horse okay. manure. And like what the horse manure is, it's like, it's obviously like horseshit, but then they have like, it's mixed in with really fine wood chips. And so it's like partially cured, partially to like manure that would be used for fertilization and different things. So like what we did three years leading up to anything ever being planted here, we brought in soil and built this up. So like we're standing on, you know, what was like six to eight feet of uncompressed manure that has been brought in flattened and we, we build the soil that way. And wow. so every year we bring in more more manure. And when we get back to the, the northern side of the farm, we'll see, you could, I'll show you these big piles of manure that we have. And so for bigger swaths, like where we don't have rows, like our, our winter squash that were grown here, we just harvested over a thousand pounds of them in two days. Um, but we will, at the end of the season when the plants die, remove those plants. And because there aren't individual rows, we're gonna come in and add a whole new layer of manure. Um, and like the manure itself is like really acidic when we first lay it down. So you can't plant directly into that. But when you give the winter, uh, when you give it time over the winter to decompose, to start to um, break down, that's when it becomes like more fertile compost. Um, so when we come back in spring, it will be broken down enough where we could plant directly into it and a lot of our plants thrive in it. And so we do like annual tests and annual soil tests. Um, and so like our, you know, heavy metal content is much less than like what is considered like lethal or just like dangerous. Um, but it's also like much lower because like um, there wasn't lead, there wasn't heavy metals in the horse manure. Um, but like, also we need to understand that like in an urban setting, those sorts of heavy metals like arsenic and lead in particular are just like, just exist 
in our air. And those things like don't decay like a lot of other elements, like they, they don't decay over time. And so like that sort of sediment will always be in our environment. It's detected, it's known that like those things are, and so like those lead in particular is like activated by, by movement. And so like when you talk about like lead pipes, water moving through them is what transfers the lead from the pipe into people's bodies because they drink the water that comes from it. Lead paint, when homes are demolished or the paint's like scraped off, that agitates the lead, it becomes airborne. And so it's like a very light element. And so like that, in, in cities, there's ambient levels of those contaminants always. So when I go up to Wisconsin, mm -hmm. I can smell the difference. Okay, yeah. Like, it, like it's pressure mm -hmm. and it, it's, it's real relieving. You just don't have, does that have anything to do with just like open air? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's like a density? higher density of like particulates in urban areas, okay. right? When you say like, what are the things that like cause air to smell different, right? Yeah. And like oftentimes air smelling different means that there's like different matter, different like ratios of certain matter in the air. And so like generally urban areas being more dense will have a higher rate of cars. So like you're going to have more uh, concent higher concentrations of CO2 that was burned from, from our gasoline. You're going to have higher concentrations of lead oftentimes because like just you have higher, like at least when lead was used in buildings, you just have a higher concentration of buildings. So that would then inherently result in a higher rate of lead. Um, as it pertains to lead and heavy metals, like that was only outlawed in the use of gasoline in the United States in like the 70s. And so up until like the mid 70s, gasoline was being sold and used, burned, and it had lead in it. So every time car, so, like. So yeah, now everybody's. Exactly. And so, lead, yeah. and so that was concentrated in urban areas. So like all during that time, cars were releasing it. Urban areas have more of that because there's always just been a higher concentration. So as you go out to more rural areas, I believe like that's one of the things. There's probably also a number of different things that contribute to that. Like what kind of forests are in the area that like, right, like concentration of trees produces like smells that are often nice that associate, we associate with the wilderness, right? And so like all those different things, but particulates definitely are like part of, of like what goes into like how the air smells, how the quality of the air is in any given area. Yeah. Do you have any favorite trees? Um, I mean, I think like. Do you know much about trees? I mean, you yeah, know, no, like, you know a lot about some these, some so. trees. I mean, but that's like an interesting thing too. Like within horticulture, there's such a vast amount of like plant knowledge, and so I know about like a lot of things that are applicable to my farming. Um, but I mean, like, I would probably like associate I associate like a lot with, with willow trees just because of where I grew up. Um, there, my high school is actually called Willowbrook because there are a bunch of like willow trees along oh, like yeah. this brook that ran through our town. Um, and so that's just something nostalgic. I always remember like swinging on, on like willow trees with my friends and like they're very doing that stuff. Yeah, for sure. And they're just yeah. like really pretty. Um, so that, but I also don't spend a ton of time with trees here. We, we, are, we do have like some young trees that we are, are growing in some containers right now that are actually part of our permaculture project at the plant. Um, but those are fruiting trees. We have like some, some plum trees and um, some like, what else do we have? Berry trees. Um, and I save like all the pits for like the peaches that we have. We work with like a bunch of different farms that we get fruit from. And so I'll save like our plum pits and our peach pits so that eventually when I have like some land of my own that I'll purchase, I will plant some some fruiting trees for sure how long do those pits last like uh, um i mean most seeds will like store for a, a decent amount of time i um 
I mean, I could hold on to those pits for like at least five years and they'll be good. I could also like germinate them and start them in a small container. And then once I, you know, like that, they, they could live like that for multiple so plants, years. Plants are really versatile where you can, you can start growing them here, but then you can transplant them here and then you can move them over here and then over here. Is that? Um, depending on the variety. Or, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's absolutely possible. Depending on like the variety is going to kind of dictate like what, how versatile they'll be in like adjusting to those movements. Cause there are plants that are like really sensitive to being relocated. And so like, if we talk about like sunflowers, we have sunflowers here, they look pretty, but sunflowers also have like the ability to remediate soil. And so like, typically like we don't, typically plant sunflowers like amongst our crops, um, but they do serve a purpose in that like a lot of times aphids will prefer sunflowers. And so this can be, it's considered like a buffer crop. Yeah, and, and that allows like aphids to go here. We don't care if an aphid eats a sunflower, yeah. right? But we'd rather not have them on our kale. We'd rather not have them um, on our, our tomatoes, our collards. Um, and so we do that. But like sunflowers, for example, are really sensitive. And so like we'll find clusters of them early in the season. We're like, okay, we don't want sunflowers here, but we could relocate these to somewhere other some other place on the farm and they are like really impacted so like you can dig around them we dig around them by a few feet to just have like all the soil and the plants so like try not to disturb the roots and we always plant them and like they die immediately but they'll come back and they'll like recover as long as really? we, like we give them enough water but like a lot of other plants you can transplant they won't like die or won't look like they're dead and we'll be fine less so, like kale um so like the exact example that you're talking about like and not even just kale, but a lot of the plants here, we start in small trays, right? We'll germinate them, we have them in our hoop house, um, and that's what we're doing, right? We start them in the tray, once they get large enough, then we transplant them into the field. Um, and so that's like a common practice, but even on like a larger scale with trees, we have trees that we have in, in large containers um, that we are, so this permaculture project we're working on is not ready to, to receive the trees that we have yet. Like what we're doing is building large mounds that are called hucoculture mounds. And those are built from basically like layering different plant matter. You start with like big chunks of like dead trees, cover that with dirt. It's like described as like a, a dirt lasagna. And then you can cover it with like different types of like decaying brown matter. And you build it up and you build these mounds. And what it does is like foster a, a really rich, um, like micro ecosystem in the soil. And so then that soil is able to support trees. And so that all that though, takes time to break down. And so right now we're at, you know, like year two of that, starting probably next year, for sure, the following year, we could plant directly into that with our trees. And then over the course, you know, of like five to 10 years, these trees will mature and start to produce fruits, start to produce nuts. We can plant like shrubs into them, which are also like annuals that will come back every year um, and will establish themselves. Um, and so that's like a big thing that you see when you, when you transplant is like usually, when you get something in the ground, it needs like a year to just like be in a spot and kind of like acclimate itself, allow its roots to expand and like grow. But typically then when you see, you come back the next year is when you see the plant like really take off because it's now living in soil as opposed yeah. to like in a pot. Where it's like very confined. Okay. Um, and so that's what we've seen. You can actually keep going and I'll show you though, we have like some of our, our elder, yeah, um, for sure, our elderberries. Um, and those, that was an example of what I just described is like last year we put them in the ground they did fine, um, but then this year they really just started to thrive. Um, 
But yeah, so back here, like we have um, some of our carrots growing. Um, these are some mustards that we grew. So like, again, this is another situation with like weeds is like we were growing, um, this is like one of our salad mixes. This is like a frilly mustard green. Um, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, you could actually try this if you'd like. It's, it's probably gonna be a little bitter because they're starting to flower now. But these are good like, yeah, these aren't that bad. These are, these are so pretty tasty. And yeah, these are good. And these are all edible too. So like this is like broccolini. Like you see the little flowerlets. Oh yeah. So like that's all broccoli is. It's like we actually have some broccoli down here too. The thing with like broccoli is like this tastes so fresh. Yeah, right? It's this spicy like too, right? To, yeah. It's I use it on sandwiches all the time. It's really tasty. Um but yeah, so we have like arugula here. Um a lot of the arugula is on the way out. This is our broccoli. And so like you can try this if you'd like. Um, but that's like the thing with broccoli is like you have to pick it before it flowers and then it's just a flower. Um, and so we have a couple varieties of, of broccoli here. We have cabbage back here that are coming in nicely. Um, and then over here we have tomatoes. We have like over 150 tomato plants. Um, wow. And again, like some weeds here, but like we can still grow these things. I don't have to spend my time weeding right now. It's all going to get cleared. It's all going to get covered. We're going to add amendments to it before the winter, but just in any given moment, like my time's better spent planting new things, harvesting, um, doing things that are more immediate. Um, and so, um, yeah, we have like tomatoes here, tomatoes over here. We have a few different varieties. Yeah, exactly. And so this has been covered all season actually. And that's been kind of like the nice thing with how big city farm is, is like, we don't need to we don't need to grow on every available space here and like that's a thing that like a lot of people for generations honestly that in like a lot of like western practices of farming haven't really adopted until like there's been like a kind of like a resurgence of like this indigenous knowledge um indigenous knowledge in a lot of places of like understanding soils as an ecosystem and that like just as an ecosystem like there needs to be this sort of like balance in maintaining that ecosystem. So it's fine and we, we encourage it. Spaces at the farm that like we just don't grow. We didn't grow anything this year and we solarized it. It's gonna be really nice underneath and ready to grow. But like the, the nutrients have not been depleted in this swatch of, of land because like we haven't grown here. And so we'll still add our amendments. We'll still make sure um, that the, the nutrient content is where it needs to be. But like we can grow here next year and it's gonna be, whatever's growing here is gonna do great because like the soil has been undisturbed for a year. Tell me about, you mentioned, you mentioned before the, uh, what is it, the Appa, Appa Davids or, no, the Appa Davids, uh, you were telling me earlier about the finches and oh. the birds and the, the yeah, uh, the, the purple finches, yeah, the purple, purple finches. finches, yeah, so, um, yeah, I was explaining to you that like aphids, which, aphids. right, aphids, yeah, the aphids, um, aphids can like wreak havoc on like a lot of crops. And um, when I was volunteering here four years ago, they had really bad aphid problem. And I was like really grossed out by them and like incoming and managing. So these, these are like bugs. They're, they're little like... bugs. Aphids are little bugs. Yeah. yeah, if you don't know what they look like, you should look it up. They're really gross, but they're like, look like little pieces of rice, like a half a size, half of a piece of rice. And they live in like these clusters. And so they all like live next to each other on plants. And so a lot of times they live like underneath 
the the leaf of a plant and they'll just like feed on it and they um, are eating the nutrients from the plant and so if the aphids get bad like worse enough like you can kill a plant a lot of times like there might be a few aphids a plant will be fine um, but I wanted to like be proactive about like how I would address that um, and so like one thing aphids don't like onions and so they don't like onions they don't like garlic so like we'll also plant onions and garlic amongst our uh, what we're growing just like periodically to like have it there um, that's one deterrent you took a, a photo of the the uh, marigolds over there French yeah. marigolds those are also a deterrent for um, aphids and actually like rabbits don't like marigolds too so that's like a way to like kind of keep uh, some rabbits away. There are a lot away. of rabbits in the city. Yeah for well, sure. Well continue the story of the fish. Yeah yeah. I gotta ask no we'll get back to the, the rabbits yeah. yeah. Um, and so in like kind of trying to determine how I was going to deal with aphids we hadn't had any like a problem with them but I just wanted to like deal with it beforehand and so I found out that gold or that uh, purple finches um, really enjoy aphids they they eat aphids um, and they are a migratory species that does like pass through Chicago and like a lot of the Midwest during the summer and so I was like okay we got to get some purple finches here how can we do that and um, one of my colleagues had told me about this like bird speaker that she had seen at like another farm that was essentially just like playing out bird sound yeah. bird calls of species that they wanted to attract to the farm and so um, I literally just like had my cell phone and for three days like Thursday Friday Saturday went on YouTube and on a loop played the purple finch call um, and at the end of those three days I came in on Monday and I came in like a bunch of the the purple finches were here and I found out you know that they really like the seeds of brassica so we just had some of those mustards those are brassicas right and the flowers will eventually go to seed so I left a bunch of those brassicas I think they were turnips I left them in the field let the flowers turn brown that means what they're like producing the seed the seed was ready and so when I came in all of the purple finches were like hanging out in the brassica seeds eating those and then they stuck around because they realized right that this is there's yeah. a wealth of nutrients here for them and so they were here all summer they've since left because they are migratory birds um, but we we had them here they helped keep the aphids away um, they you know, fed on on some of the the seeds that we had available, um, and they're just like really lovely birds, and that added to the diversity of the ecosystem here. Because like yeah. the farm itself is an ecosystem, whether it's the soil, whether it's yeah. above ground, whether it's like what's existing in the trees around here. So like we also serve as an ecosystem to the wildlife in the area. Um, you know, and speaking to like rabbits, yeah, we do have rabbits here. Um, There's so many rabbits in, in Chicago. Yeah, they're like absolutely. all over the place. So how do you keep them out? Or it's never been. Yeah, I mean, here, right? we don't want. We, we don't want them here necessarily like we, we don't attract we don't want to attract them here but they are going to be here and I mean in any area any like landmass right you're always going to have some like occupants um, and a lot of time like rodent occupants I'd rather have rabbits than rats and okay. just like any area in the city there's going to be rats we don't have like a rat problem but like there are rats here there, there are rats everywhere um, but we do also have um, we work with these people who um, essentially like distribute feral cats across the city and so like we work with these people who have brought cats to our other farm sites and they have we have like a little enclosure just outside of our fence over there that like they come every week and they stock it with food stock it with water but they like acclimated the cats here so we have three cats who like live here oh, yeah and so they just like are always just kind of yeah, like do yeah and so they live here and are yeah always just around like you'll sometimes walk up on them and, and see them but so they they kind of help with with that um, but that's also the thing too is like we don't we don't like create conditions where 
pests like that would thrive. Like we don't have a rat problem because like we don't, yeah, we have a lot of food, but like our food doesn't just like rot. Like, yeah, you're gonna see like a tomato here or there that just like fell off and it's like, whatever, like we're not gonna be able to eat it. It's starting to like decay, but like we don't have mass amounts of food here that are rotting. We are frequently harvesting. And so um, that doesn't create a condition, like rats aren't going after tomatoes on the vine, like unripe tomatoes on the vine, right? Rats are going, like there's so much trash in the city that like, the smell attracts the rats, right? So there's other things around here that are actually like attracting rats. And yeah, rats are probably gonna pass through. But like just the other day we were watching a hawk and there's like hawks that come here now and you'll see them periodically like circling and like they'll be like in the thicket, like going after something. And so they're like, we create that ecosystem. We've seen coyotes here. Um, and so like th there are natural predators, right? And like those sort of like apex predators in like this area um, are a sign of a healthy, ecosystem because yeah. there are these various levels, these iterations of, of um, species that are living here that yeah, are interdependent. Define an ecosystem, like in, yeah. uh, not just specific to city farm here, mm -hmm. but just in general. Yeah, I mean, an ecosystem. to really all types of For sure, for sure. Ecosystems, I mean, are really just like an environment that um, organisms are functioning. Right, so like you could have your ecosystem at work, right, and like your ecosystem at work would consist of your colleagues would consist of like probably like the hierarchy of the people like working in that office space would consist of depending on like what type of office it is, if you have a cafeteria, like then you have like people who are part of that same ecosystem, but like a different component of it who are like yeah. operating in that where you have maybe the business side then um, and so like yeah, I mean ecosystems are 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 everywhere, um, but like I think. As it pertains to City Farm, we're looking to foster um, right, an ecosystem that exists within our farm, but then we're also looking to like improve, to increase the quality of our urban ecosystem that like we are all living in yeah, together. So it's like this right here, this plot of land is an ecosystem in itself, but this plot of land and what you produce here serves a greater ecosystem. Right, you can and see it's just like macro yeah. level absolutely and that's like that. yeah and you as you zoom out as you zoom in yeah. you start to see these in, and that, that exists within us individually right yeah. like we have like the human who's living in the ecosystem but then within us we have microbes that are living in the ecosystem that are us right yeah. and so like it's just like each iteration um it's pretty like trippy right but yeah. like but that's <laughs> but that's like what you know bringing us closer to nature like is understanding yeah. is that like an ecosystem is only an ecosystem because it exists and is reliant upon these other systems, right? It's like an ecosystem, right? And no system consists of like one individual component, right? And a lot of times too, it's interesting to think about is like there are aspects of ecosystems that we don't even know are impacting that ecosystem, right? That like we could try to like eliminate aphids and maybe I find out that aphids were actually like a food source for the purple finches rather than me like inviting the purple finches, right? Like that like me getting rid of them, me choosing to harvest all or like pull out all of these these produce, this produce that like has flowered, so like it's not good for the purpose that like we want to sell or give our food away. But it's like, oh, I could still actually keep those, and they could serve some other purpose in this ecosystem, yeah. right? And so there's like constantly things like that. Like it's like, what are the known knowns? What are the known unknowns? What are the unknown unknowns that like we're trying to still be like cognizant of? And like that's a, a process that like we're constantly learning. Um, but that's all like part of what we're doing is like yeah. learning, like our sustainability. We don't claim to be like a fully sustainable farm because that's like a process that requires 
um, a refinement of these systems to make things sustainable. So like we have sustainable practices and we are moving in that direction and we like practice sustainability, but we're not like sustainable as like the end point and that like we've achieved sustainability, right? It's like, no, like we're constantly learning ways to become more sustainable. And so like when I talk about like the mulching piece, like all of this, like I've never bought a tarp. This is all like just like recycled tarps that we've had. The Chicago Resource Center has access to a lot of um, like materials that we are able to repurpose. So all these trellises that you see here, these poles, these are just like recycled like metal poles. We post pound them into the ground, use them as trellises. Um, we get burlap sacks from, and you saw it earlier, the rows that were covered. Um, those are burlap sacks from Intelligentsia Coffee. And we- Oh, no way. Yeah, and we get, their, <laughs> we get deliveries from them and we repurpose them. They're nice because they're made from burlap, which I believe is like, hemp material and so they'll decay over time and so we can leave them in the field and if we choose not to like farm an area like they'll just decompose they add nitrogen to the soil um, and and they're really great for like mulching we use them for a bunch of different things and so like understanding that being able to foster and like form the relationships with the businesses that have these different things that we can upcycle we can recycle them yeah. to be able to use them is part of the practice of sustainability and it's like a mindset because it transcends just the farm right then it's like oh i started working here and made you know like one fourth of what i was making at my job previously and had really like thought about okay am i going to be able to like support myself off of this and it's like absolutely because like the lifestyle shift that happened and like that mindset shift that happened of just like, oh, like the sustainability approach can actually like manifest itself in all these aspects yeah. in my life. And then that allows us to live more sustainable lives, you know? And so once, like uh, the beautiful thing about City Farm is like we are a living example of that. And so as people become like familiar with us, they spend time here, they start to see those things as well. And this, it doesn't need to manifest itself then as another farm somewhere else that somebody else starts. Like if that happens, great. But then it could also just be how people are starting to think about their lives in these ways that are conducive to sustainability, to um, just being more responsible to our ecosystem, to our environment, being more like human centric and like sustainable in, in what we expect from like our workforce, right? That like a lot of like the practices within like uh, within corporate America are like not sustainable because you have like these high rates of like burnout and like that's a piece of sustainability too. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's really empowering to like be able to think and like see the world through that lens yeah, um, and that. kind of practice that farming, yeah. Why don't we- uh, Keep moving on? Keep moving. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so this is our the tomatoes. Yeah, this is the section that you, you saw me when I was, uh, when you came in. And so we have um, two types of sweet potatoes here. These are sweet potatoes. These are like broad leaves are our Bordeaux. Um, these are like larger sweet potatoes. Um, and then we have some of these, I think they're like huckle sweet potatoes. These like kind of spiky okay. leaves. Um, I'd pull some up, but they're kind of a pain to, to get to. You need to find like, essentially just like, yeah, you need to find where they're all coming out of the soil because they are just so viney and so um, yeah but these are these are some of our sweet potatoes um, this is our hoop house with our, our peppers and I can show you some just be careful because some of these peppers I, I didn't put up trellises and so some of the peppers these pepper plants are starting to like bend over um, but you can stand like right here if you want um, but yeah we have like a bunch of sweet peppers we have a bunch of spicy peppers um, these are like our poblanos here um, these are like really beautiful ready to harvest soon um, they keep really nicely on the vine and so like yeah you can see they start have some give now they're like really nice ready to go but like oh, yeah. yeah people love these and like it's nice because 
uh, they do store better on the vine than in like our fridge. So like rather than, you know, we, we could have harvested these, given them to members of our CSA, we could have sold them, but we had enough food. And so we're like, let's keep them on the vine and we'll harvest them when, when they're kind of ready. Um, Tell me about the garlic here. Yeah, so garlic is like I one of- garlic. garlic, isn't it like the utility knife of like cooking or something? Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. And people, it, it took like my first like visit to like Europe to realize that I'd been like use under using garlic yeah. in all the cooking I've been doing. <laughs> and so the garlic is a crop that like is pretty high yielding. So like we can get a lot out of like a single garlic plant. Um, and so this is hard neck garlic. Um, and so it has like this like real stiff um, neck to it. Um, and so uh, we get like multiple products out of like a single garlic clove. So we will um, plant these in fall. These are like overwintered. So overwintering is like a term used to like with crops that you plant in the fall, late summer, and then uh, allow them to get mature enough so that they can like withstand the cold weather. Okay. And then they'll usually like not die, but they'll start to like uh, diminish in size and their foliage will decrease, but they'll still survive. And as long as the winter is mild, then they'll start to grow in early spring. And then by time, so we harvested these, you know, in July, planted them in November, harvested in July, and then we've been letting them cure in here. Um, but before we harvest them all, like we get um, something called garlic scapes, and that's why these ones are like cut off. So garlic scapes are. Um, the stem of the garlic that protrudes out the top and then before you get like you can see the the flowers down there on those ones uh those like little pom-poms oh, yeah. at the top so those are like garlic flowers and so then those produce little cloves that when they fall off would then produce more garlic um and so before they flower like that we get these beautiful scapes and so we make like pest garlic escape pesto from them. They're just like these really long, like curly cues. They're green and then you can harvest them. They're really tender um, and you can use them like garlic, but they're just really flavorful um, and restaurants will pay us quite a bit for them and, and our, our CSA members like them. Um, and so with these garlic, yeah, we cure them. And so we're going to have some volunteers here next weekend who will help us kind of like prepare them. So we're, we'll cut off the tops. And like the one you're holding is like a really nice sized one. And so like we yeah, identify. This is what like, I typically see at stores. Yeah, right? exactly. And so we'll identify the bigger ones. And those are the ones we'll want to propagate for next year. And so like okay. the gene, the genetics, right? Like the, the, the like yeah. the, the genes within these, this particular uh, bulb are like pretty good, like desirable for what we want. We want more large garlic. We'll find some that are like purple too, and we'll be like, okay, people like the purple garlic, so we'll reproduce those. Um, and so we identify them, we sort them. We have like what we call firsts and seconds of garlic. And so like these are like firsts, meaning that like the paper's intact, they're really nice size. These are like desirable for somebody to purchase. But then we have like other ones that are maybe a little less nice like this yeah that are just like smaller or this one has like the paper broken that they're still very good to eat and so like a volunteer could take this for free i would probably bring this home and, and cook with it but maybe not is isn't something we want to just like sell we want to try to sell like the nicest stuff um that we have so how does the chicago winter like help growth compared to other regions of the country like is it good to have a winter like chicago or is it bad I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's like good or bad necessarily. It just like, given our, um, given our climate here, it's just something we have to deal with. I think that there are like upsides to it in that like what I was discussing with like our soil yeah. is that like the, the winter gives 
us an opportunity to rest the soil. It's like we're not going to be able to grow anywhere near the extent of a food like that we're able to grow. Exactly, right? Yeah. And I think that that's like important. I think that like in the same way that like we like vacation, right? Like when yeah. we've been working a lot and like you need to like reset. It's like the same thing with the soil is like let's give the soil vacation. Like let's let it just like rest. We're able to add our amendments to it. And like we do over winter, like I said we grew this garlic. Um, but we're going to plant garlic in places that like we didn't grow our most recent iteration of crops. Yeah. And so I think that that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing to have that break as a farmer. I think that like, you know, the, the physical toll of farming is, is pretty great. It's higher than I think a lot, a lot of jobs. And so, um, like myself, like I, I, I'm sorry. Um, but this, this, I've applied for some jobs that might work over the winter, but, um, if I decide not to, like my plan was to just kind of like rest and like to like, yeah, kind of take care of myself physically um, so that I can start next season and, and kind of like be in a, a good spot where I don't feel drained. Yeah. Um, and that, I think like the winter allows that to happen because otherwise it would just be like I'm squandering like all the time all the time that I could use to grow more produce, right? Yeah. And so if that was the case, like we would absolutely need more people on staff and like need help throughout the year yeah. because how I physically exert myself during the summer, like I need a break after. And yeah. so... That's that's kind of a good thing, but I mean, you do have places obviously around the country that like are able to grow year round. Um, but even that, like the, the the climate does change during those seasons, those off seasons, and so the types of crops you're able to grow so at any given time changes. What you're looking to do and exactly you just figure it out. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and you could have like indoor setups. Like if we we've been discussing it, and we might do it this year, but we could set up, we can grow. We could easily grow like kale in here or collards, and like I said, like once we close these these doors um the interior temperature here is like 20 to 30 degrees warmer than the ambient temperature outside so like we could grow things here all winter if we wanted to in the hoop house um but it's also obviously confined so like we could grow some probably for like the farmers we wouldn't probably sell those because it, we just wouldn't get enough but we could definitely definitely plant in here um and we we might we might not um the thing that's tough then it becomes like irrigation is like with oh, yeah. The, the freezing weather, we don't want to leave water in our hoses. And so that would be difficult, right? Is like if it gets that cold, we would technically need to leave the water running so that it doesn't freeze. But that's just not an efficient yeah. use of water. And so we probably won't grow. I mean, if again, because it's not that big, like we could easily just water by hand. Um, but that's just like another kind of layer of things we'd have to do then. And so this, uh, this area is like what we where we host like a lot of events that we have here. Um, and as like I took over this farm manager this year, um, I really like put a big emphasis on, um, on like bringing people to the farm. I think that, um, I think that when we talk about like urban agriculture, like there's a lot of ideas about like what, what its function is yeah. in, its, in the urban ecosystem, right? And so it's like, yeah, we can obviously grow food and that's like, primary what farms do they grow food they grow different types of crops um, and so we obviously have that that's our priority but when we talk about you know the proliferation of the idea of sustainability when we talk about the proliferation of the idea of of achieving food sovereignty in a city of addressing food insecurity of addressing environmental racism it's like we need to familiarize people with these spaces and allow them to see the tools that those spaces can serve as. Yeah. And so um, in doing that, right, like 
what's inherent in farms is that there's space, that we have land. And so we had this available space, which last year was open. We had you know, some clover growing here, but nothing was like really growing here. Um, and so we decided that we wanted to like bring people to the farm through various uh, art and cultural events. Um, you came to the farm a couple weeks ago when we had like one of our dance, dance parties. Uh, yeah, it was a little drier, a little bit more cleared out, but we have these tables here now. We had like nice like tablecloths and I made some like nice uh, bouquets for them, but we hosted recently a, um, a farm to table dinner and that's like one of the other events that we, we do. We host farm to table dinners um, where we you know, pull produce from what we're growing here. We source uh, produce or like animal products from like local vendors um, and do farm to table dinners for people. So we had, um, you know, Matthew Manning um, yeah, of Gumbo yeah, Fit. Yeah. So we had Gumbo, f uh, we had Gumbo Media um, here for, it was like a retreat for them, but we yeah. had a, a farm to table dinner. We had about 25 of their team members here. Um, one of my um, farm partners, Audie, he um, is like, working on his um, ability as like a chef and so has been cooking for these farm to table dinners and so we hosted 25 people here we had like you know five course meal um, had desserts made all yeah. like everything sourced locally and that sort of thing is like you know what we identify here and like what is identified in like this concept as like as radical community building it's like community building around these really um, profound, these really impactful aspects of our society that like, you know, you may or may not be surprised that like a lot of people we have here, a lot of people who like are interested in farming and what we're doing in this community building, a lot of those people are artists. A lot of those people are, um, I mean, it's a surprising to me how many of these people are artists, but then when I think about it, it makes sense. But then, you know, we also have just like all these different professionals who like engage with us in different ways, but like that, that's what we we want to do with this event space is that we like we're able to have people who are who can come here and like have like see a really cool performance we've had like hosted like multiple days of like dance performances with dance collectives in the city we've had those farm stable dinners and so if people can have these like really positive experiences here and those experiences resonate with the people who visit then again they can start to think critically about what farms are they a lot of people who who come here haven't ever experienced like this sort of this sort of farming especially in an urban setting and so when we can like spark people's intrigue right we can have them engage with us in, in different ways a lot of people come back with friends when we have different events right and it's like yeah we have this place city farm it's like talk about the juxtaposition between the all this green space and the, yeah. the urban city right and for a lot of people this is like an oasis it's like a sanctuary it's something totally different right exactly yeah. and so again like I'm not going to dictate what the farm means to people but we can have people come here and have a really great experience and then it could kind of like take a, a new form with with that individual yeah. um, and so that's been really successful this year we're looking to expand going into uh, 2022 um, and having a lot more programming here bring a lot more people in and that's like how we build our volunteer base you know people come here and some people want to help us and, and help us weed help us yeah. do these different projects which is great other people come in like want to help like by giving us donations other people want to come and help by becoming like associated and affiliated with like the the mutual aid organizations that we work with and so um, again just like giving creating the space to give people that opportunity is kind of what we aim to do if you thought the weeds on the food production side were were bad this one we have a lot more weeds over here just because like I explained earlier we have like the inconsistencies sometimes with uh, some of our volunteers so um, 
that's just a reality of it. But again, like our, the food's able to thrive in, in these settings. So like this year we've had a little bit more of like a coordinated effort with our volunteers. So like they've planted a lot of their things um, in like the same area. So we have like tomatoes in these rows here. So um, this is a space yeah. where people in the community can just grow yeah. what they want. Yeah, they we come have. And kind of do have their own experience growing food. Right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of people right in like urban areas don't have access to open space to grow like this. Yeah. So, you know, if people have like, I mean, kind of some people have like those boxes or whatever that they grow in, but like yeah. this is wide open space where like you can get the full um, day of sun here, right? You're not like getting obstructed uh, sunlight. Um, like I said, like explain like what our soil is and like our, our soil quality here. That's something that is hard to come by in an urban area. Yeah. And so, yeah, a lot of the people who farm here are people who regularly regularly volunteer with us. We have people who, you know, um, just kind of happened upon City Farm or saw something on social media, came here early in the summer, and they've, they've been volunteering ever since. And like, we encourage them, yeah, we have space available, like come farm, and people who are like growing, who have never grown things before. Um, and yeah, so, yeah, because then you have the community of people who have, who are a bit more like familiar with, with growing um, and in previous seasons have been here and farmed. And so like, people are like really excited to share their knowledge yeah. and like kind of help other people get their footing in, in like starting to grow wow. things. Um, so yeah, we have like our tomatoes over here. We have a lot of like kale and mustards over here. Um, we have a lot of birds visiting. Um, and then, basil, I see. yeah, we have basil that's flowering over here. A lot of the stuff we call like volunteer plants are like um, plants that have propagated from last year. So like it's like somebody either harvested after the plants went to seed, and so then the plant produced the seeds. They were in the ground, and though we pull up the plants before winter comes to like prepare the soil, those seeds a lot of times still remain. And so a lot of things that are back here weren't even planted this year, but have just kind of emerged from last year, previous year wow. seeds. Yeah. Um, actually, if you could see, I can share this tomatillo with you. Um, this is, tomatillo is like approaching. The end of its life, but this is a purple tomatillo. These ones aren't quite oh, yeah, as ripe. These, these, yeah, these ones are really sweet. This one's gonna be good. You should have this. I'll try to find another one. Eat it right now. Yeah, just go go into it. You don't want to eat the paper, but you can eat everything. Not everybody knows that. They don't always know which parts are good to eat. But yeah, these are like really sweet. Um, people are always surprised by. Oh wow. Right. And tastes so fresh too. Absolutely. And the texture is awesome. It's like really it's like aerated but crispy. And so we make like verde salsa sometimes with Yeah, that's what I these. make with this stuff. Exactly. Yeah, these ones are a little sweet for that. I don't think the purple variety are the best always, but um, yeah, those are like they're really, really green good too. ones. Exactly. Um this is actually I always like showing this off. So over here's our watermelon patch. And so um this is the first year I've grown watermelons. And this one was not staged like this. This vine just started to come up onto the bench. Um, and so like, I already harvested probably about two thirds of the watermelons in here. Um, but we kind of wanted to experiment because like typically watermelons don't grow great here in this region. Like they grow in Illinois for sure. And like mainly though, it's like central Illinois, southern Illinois that have a lot more like melon production. Um, but, you know, we are experiencing climate changes um, and in that like 
again, they fluctuate from year to year, but like this year was like pretty warm. Most of the, the summer was, we were in a drought. Um, the temperatures were really high. And so watermelon like really thrive in, um, in, in the heat like that. And so we planted, this is probably like 20 plants or so that I planted um, in June and they kind of went in the ground late, but we, we started the watermelon plants in the, the hoop house earlier in the year. These were literally just seeds that we saved from a watermelon that we liked, that we ate last year. Really? Yeah, and these watermelons are actually yellow watermelons. So when you cut them open, the inside is is yellow. Wow. And they're, they're still very sweet, but they have like this kind of like vanilla flavor to them. Um, and so, yeah, we've been growing these and they're doing really well. We have like some really huh. big ones. Um, but so far I've harvested almost like 25 watermelons and we still have about 15 more in here. So uh, we got a really great year this year from watermelon we'll continue to grow them very cool yeah um this is just more of the community space we could actually go down here this is like has been coined like pepper pepper alley um pepper see, alley. but we have just like a lot of different peppers here i'm not actually even familiar with all the varieties um but we have yeah a lot of peppers here we have some chilies these are like banana peppers um but yeah a lot of stuff we have what are those purple things so these are peppers. They're probably a, these look like a type of bell pepper. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly which variety these are, but there are a lot of like purple variety, purple um, bell peppers. Um, so I believe that's a sweet pepper. Um, and then, yeah, we have a lot of chilies here. We have like some habaneros. Um, yeah, people are kind of like experimenting growing just like a bunch of like these kind of obscure, I don't even know what these, what type of peppers these are. <laughs> but that's like the thing is like, you know, with how much space we have, um, and again, like how I can effectively use my time, like majority of my time I'm spent on production side kind of doing that and leave the community space. We'll do like some, you know, coordination meetings to just like see like, hey, this is what we're kind of thinking, but like this is up to the volunteers to kind of, kind of do. And so we have, um, have them kind of like coordinate what, what we have growing here. Look at this, this, this view of the sky too. We have this garden and then look at all these buildings. Isn't it cool? It's such a unique space. You can see why people in the community <coughs> would gravitate towards this space for, for an event because it's so unique. Yeah, I'm just mystified by this purple. Look at that. Yeah, there's really beautiful colors. That's, That's like, like one thing that I and becoming kind of familiar with too with like various types of peppers is like the colors are indicating different stages of ripeness and some peppers that like we consume and like know to like associate with being a certain color is actually just because like we harvest them at certain times when they're like actually not like fully ripe um, but it's just interesting because you can eat peppers at various stages um, yeah well Thanks for thanks for showing me around today. This has been yeah, absolutely been really cool. Absolutely, there's so much to learn too, as as you can probably yeah <laughs> no for sure say. like like you know all this now, but you probably would acknowledge there's so much more that you still have to learn, right? Oh yeah, I mean that's like what one of like the biggest draws is here is like I've despite being like physically exhausted at the end of days and weeks like. I'm always just like mentally stimulated because there's like always, whether it's directly horticulture related and things I'm finding out like nuanced about plants and my relationship to them, or just the great like people that I'm able to like interact with, right? And like who are able to like find various like reasons to be intrigued with the farm and like we can kind of share kind of like what we're, we're doing today. And so like that's always 
incredible piece to have like an inherent aspect of, of your job. So. Well, thanks again for coming on. This for sure. Great. And uh, thanks for watching and listening. You can, uh, where can people find, yeah, absolutely. find you and, and City Farm? For sure. So um, we mostly operate on like Instagram. We just have like, okay. uh, do a lot of posts there and like post for our events there. And so um, I post all of our events at Gerard Pate um, on Instagram. And then uh, the farm itself is Chicago Farm. Um, and, and Patchwork Farm Chicago is, is also on Instagram. And we are always sharing different things at the farm and, and all of our events and all that. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it, Rich. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Rich Conversations. Again, you can follow Alex on Instagram at Gerard Pate and at Chicago Farm. Plant seeds today so that you may harvest the fruit tomorrow.